0: as we look at part of this journey of the pilgrim, this journey of the disciple, the follower of Christ, the title is Discipleship for the Long Haul. And it involves, it reminds us that we must have constant self-checks. I was reading uh, one of the commentators, or one of the books that has been helping me, uh, called a long obedience that the author, Eugene Peterson, says that it's really like a maintenance check, like kind of the dashboard in your car that the gas light might come on or something else, a, a, dar, a, jar, a door ajar signal or something that kind of reminds you something isn't going right in the car. Well, we at, as, at times also need these self-checks, these maintenance routine checks in our life. Just recently I brought in our minivan and I can't even figure out how to touch that thing or what I'm supposed to do. Uh, I I wanted to keep our family safe and uh, we thought it needed its routine check. I think we hit the mileage marker that we usually hit and they they did all their gadget checking and reminded me, oh no, you're only about halfway. And I'm thinking, really? Really? Okay, i got to figure out these new cars and how it all works. But we all understand this idea of routine checks, maintenance checks, self-checks. And in some ways, this pilgrim, as he's walking and taking his journey to worship with the people of God, to head to Jerusalem, he has this psalm. And this might have been a songbook for all of the pilgrims heading toward Jerusalem, or something they would have picked up within this city. A reminder of how they were to come to the temple, how they were to worship. We've looked at attitudes of waiting and trusting, of hoping in the Lord. Again, this psalm is going to remind us of these things. We have seen psalms of, I lift my eyes up to the hills and reminded that the Lord is our protector and our provider and he owns everything. We've seen some psalms of protection along the journey. Some of these travelers would have come from hundreds of miles away. Maybe they would have brought more people with them and the people of God together rejoicing at who God is. And interestingly enough, this isn't looking out at the enemies or at the people of God or even as a nation or what God has done to bless a group. This is very much looking at the individual, the self-check, the personal maintenance of our hearts and our souls. Here is the pilgrim maybe having a little bit of solitary time, he or she with God alone. And this is what the pilgrim writes, words inspired and moved by the Holy Spirit, written down by human hands here in Psalm 131. So let's read these short three verses and begin in prayer as we look at what it means to have a self-check for each one of us, to remind ourselves of what we need to be careful of. Psalm 131, verse 1, a song of sense, song of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a wean child with its mother. like a wean child is my soul within me. O oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. Let's go to Lord in prayer over His word. Lord, may you give me words that come from your text, from the Bible. May I get out of the way and may you shine bright. Lord, as we look at this idea of checking our own hearts, our own souls, our own sights, and what we fix our eyes upon, Lord, help this to be a check for us, a reminder like the dashboard that tells us when something is low or needs to be looked at. Lord, your word is like that to our hearts. It brings us back to be checked by the truth, the word of God speaking to us. And in our day and age, Lord, we certainly need your truth to guide us in the light, to guide us on your path. Lord, give us Conviction, encouragement, whatever is needed, comfort, exaltation, joy, maybe this morning a calming and a peace, a quieting of our souls before a holy God. We thank you for Jesus Christ, that he came to the cross, he died for our sins, he took our place he underwent the greatest judgment and punishment, taking upon himself the wrath of God and the weight of all the sin of the world. And Lord, it's because of what he has done and because that he is not there on the cross or in a grave, he is alive forevermore, resurrected, reigning eternally in glory in heaven above that we trust in Him with our whole lives. We put ourselves and our souls into His hands. And I pray that everyone this morning in this room has done so. And if not so, that they would cry out to Jesus, Forgive me, Lord, for my sin. Rescue me and save me. And give me the joy of salvation so that I might know that I am forgiven and I have eternal life that wonderful good news of Jesus Christ. May that be for everyone in this room this morning. And if that prayer hasn't been prayed, may they cry out to you even now, for today is the day of salvation. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So three main things of this passage, three verses, three points that First off, we would know our station or our place, that we would know where God has put us in life, maybe in our calling, in our work, in where we are with our kids and family, that we would know our place, know our station. Interestingly enough, King David is the one who writes this as a king, looking out over a nation with the responsibility of leading and always, as we saw, going to the Lord, asking him for wisdom. And yet, even as king, we know the life of David was not perfect. Filled with his own desires and his own reaching out for, possibly this language of the eyes were lofty and he felt like, I'm entitled to something. And he ran towards sin. He ran after another woman. And yet this king was confronted by a prophet, told of his sin. And what a great example we have in King David. He repented. And Psalm 51, that beautiful psalm that I hope if you have not read it, Go home today and look at the heart of King David. He said, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil. A heart of confession, a heart of brokenness. And this is the beginning of the prayer, is that David understood his place before life and before a holy, perfect powerful, all-knowing, all-creating God. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. The language here is of a haughtiness, of one who believes they are better than. And that's where this second phrase, my eyes are not li- lifted up or lofty in the sense of I'm looking down in judgment. I'm condemning or I'm comparing and saying, I am better than. Oh, what a message for us today. I wouldn't just say that our culture is all about competition, but at times that leaks within our church family And maybe it's within a friendly competition of a game around the dinner table. It could get wider and larger in aspect of trying to be better than fill in the blank. That is what we hear. That is part of what's inside of us. We desire to grow, to learn more, to get better. But so often it turns into well, I'm not as bad as that person over there. I don't look at those things. I don't think about those things. This attitude of haughtiness, of forgetting our station and our place. You know, for myself, leadership in the Bible is told to be servant leadership. That the best way to lead is to say, how can I help and serve you? How can I help you succeed and to see you grow in Christ? The opposite sinful attitude, what we find in King David himself, but in many of us as, as those who might lead families or lead Businesses or lead teams within our work is what can I get out of you? What can I get myself out of those around me? Instead of the opposite, and maybe we all have to check our hearts this sermon of self check. I have to check my heart. Am I here to serve? Or is it, what can I get? Because I'm better then. Because I'll tell you what to do. Or is it, how can I help? What can I do to come alongside? So convicting. Oh Lord, he cries out and he's talking to his God. This is him and his Lord. And he might be hearing around him voices that are saying, you are haughty, King David. You are thinking that you're better than. You are not looking out for our needs. You're talking about things way too beyond your place and your station in life. And he goes to the Lord and he says, Lord, is that true? I'm crying out to you. My heart is not haughty. My eyes are not lifted up. I do not want to occupy myself. This idea of work, of, of um, exerting a lot of energy, <laughs> of stressing over, of, of sleepless nights, thinking about things too great and too marvelous. What that means, that's language from what we read this morning Job 42 that the things that are too marvelous are the things of the Lord the things that He is in control of. Even we have to check ourselves with the fact that we might want to give our all to see someone to come to know the Lord. But at the end of the day, God has to draw that person. That is something out of our control. God has to save. God has to change the heart. We can work ourselves to the bone to try to create an outcome but we at the end of the day we have to say god you have to direct it has to be your will not my will but yours be done i do not occupy myself with things too great or marvelous for me things out of king david's control things out of the control of our hands Yes, God has told us, lead and work and live in your character, and who you are. Those are things that you can work on. How you go to work, how you talk to your spouse or your kids or your grandkids or your great-grandkids. <laughs> Those are under your control. But there are so many things that we cannot control. This is for myself too. Do I go to the Lord and take those burdens, those things too great and too marvelous? And do I say, you're in control, Lord. This is where King David is in his self-check. He has to remember his station and trust in the Lord for where he is, what his place is in life. This calls to mind verses even like James 3 that speaks of selfish ambition, desiring to get somewhere or wanting a position that we don't have, and we have to check our hearts. Are we pursuing it because God has put it in our heart? Are we pursuing it in the right manner James 3 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Verse 13 By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual even demonic. Wow, such strong words. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And for those who know their place, who remind themselves, who, as we remind ourselves, God, what do I do in this station that you've put me in? We pursue peace with others. We say relationship with God, but with others is more important than the ambition of pursuing something. That King David learned this in many ways the hard way. That there was even consequences for his action of going for what he wanted, grasping at what was supposed to be out of his control, demanding desires that God said he was not to have. And he said, the Lord has put me in my place. (laughs) Nathan the prophet came and held me accountable, said, you need to do a self-check. Do we trust that God has put us in our place? Or are we looking for something else, reaching and grasping out for maybe something out of our control? O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. It's a reminder that God has given us this life to live. How are we working on our life as we mingle maybe with our spouse, with our kids, with our coworkers, with others around us? How we live is affecting others. But, verse 2, this is what King David encourages us to do as he has done But I have calmed and quieted my soul. This is a great illustration for this morning. Like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. And you look at this word weaning and you think, well, that doesn't bring up words of calming. The weaning process is not fun. (laughs) Asking an infant To pull away from that crying, desperate realization of, I need my mother's milk. I need the sustenance. What will I do without it? Life is falling apart, if this infant could talk. (laughs) What are you doing, Mom? Pulling me away. But this is where God helps us understand that as we must pull the infant away from the mother to learn independence and trust, that you're going to live through this. (laughs) You're going to survive, that we haven't pulled the food away. We still care and will nourish and feed you, but in a different way. That there's not this desperate, infantile clinging to, but a child that can sit next to his mom and know, I know the food's gonna come. It's different. But now I trust. I hope hope that illustration helps you realize the spiritual growth that gets into our lives. That God, in his desire to mature us, pulls us away like a weaned child from that frantic crying, possibly for some of you, for hours. I need more food to that weaned child that sits and trusts and knows that food is going to come And now the child can embrace, and as our family says, snuggle (laughs) with their mother and be calm and quiet with their mom and realizing, I don't need to go for that milk anymore. For some of you, that was a long time ago. For some of you, you're going through that right now. that wonderful feeling of a child close to you who can actually fall asleep now and not be desperately crying, where is my milk? I must have it. But can be with mom and rest with her and trust her and in some ways have a new relationship with mommy. That is like our God. As we are in a walk, we might get away from this desperation and this everything is going crazy and I don't know what to do, Lord, to can I sit next to Him and trust that He will provide, that His timing is the best timing, that the food will come For our daughter Elizabeth, it's more like, when's the next snack? (laughs) She is this constant snacker. It seems like as the energy goes in, the energy goes out. High metabolism, maybe. I have no idea. But trying to train her up. Wait for the meal. The food is coming. No, you cannot have that right now. You need to have this. That's going to burn away in 10 minutes. (laughs) This will hold you over until the next meal. Trying to help our daughter understand how she must trust her parents and how we will provide for her and all her needs. Benjamin, the same. They're just complete opposites. He's like, yeah, I'm good until I sit down at the table and, oh, look at this great thing before me. Gobble, 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 and he's done. On to the next thing. Okay, when's the next meal? Routine, predictable. (laughs) He trusts in many ways. I'm going to be fed. I got other things to do. Who knows? They're complete opposites but it's this idea of trusting mommy and daddy. And in some ways, King David is telling us, I have calmed and quieted my soul. What's the big thing in your life right now? What's the thing that just seems like a weight? Maybe it's been on there for too long and you need to give it to the Lord. Maybe it just came this morning. And it's out of your control. And in some ways, we, like the child, can say, Father, Daddy, you're the parent. I'm going to give this to you. You know when I need what I need. You have the times all figured out. I'm on your schedule. When at first, the child is saying, No, Mommy, you're on my schedule. (laughs) That reversal of desperation to trust. That's where King David is pointing us to. That's where this pilgrim song is reminding us. That we must think about our life, think about where God is in place of that, and think about how, like a child, we have gone from desperation in our God to trusting what He has for us, the timing He has for us, the things He has for us. And for some of us, we are getting back to this side, that screaming, kicking, frantic child. Lord, what is going on? This season is not easy. I'm exhausted, or I don't know the answer to X, Y, and Z. And He is saying, Remind yourself, be that child who sits next to the daddy or the mommy, can be calm, can trust, they know all my needs, they're not going to let me get into trouble, they're going to protect me, they're going to watch out for me. I mean, that's another thing, it's, you know, after about two minutes of silence in our home or... Where did Elizabeth go? You start to get into this panic. (laughs) But you know what? It's it's the parents having to trust everything's going to be okay as well. You know, you go off to the other room. Oh, she's just doodling around with something. Or she's cleaning her room miraculously. Oh, Daddy, I just wanted to clean my room today. Really? (laughs) There's trust on both sides. Okay, the child is not upside down, hanging off the wall, about to jump on the top of the bunk bed to the floor. Everything's going to be okay. There's this idea of trust between the relationship. Do you trust your family position? Like I said earlier this morning, we are not God, and that is a good thing. God is God. Do you trust that he calls us children and he, the daddy, he, the one in charge? Do we trust him knowing our place in this life, knowing our family position as a child to the parent? Jesus said, let the little children come. For it's to the children that the kingdom of God will come. You need to come in like a child, with that childlike trust. He knows what's best. I'm in in a dire situation. I'm going to put my life in His hands. I remember at the age of eight, just coming to that realization, I am in trouble, (laughs) I could count off the sins. I could list them and hand the slip to my parents. I need a Savior. Reminded that I am the child and He is the Father, the Protector, the Savior. Remembering our family position. When things go awry, when disaster happens is when we put ourselves in the place of the Father. When we say, Lord, I have a better plan. And that kind of gets us to this last verse, verse 3. We need to remember our station, to trust in God's purpose in that, to remember our family position, to trust that God calls us his children on purpose for a good reason. And we need to remember our Father, to trust God. In our Father, to trust in Him, who He is. Not just the things or the blessings or the provisions, but trust in Him as a person, as Daddy. For this says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, hope in Yahweh. I am that I am, the one who sustains and controls and keeps everything revolving and in motion. And going on in our life, he has a plan and a purpose. This word for hope in the ESV, yours might say, wait on the Lord. It's this idea of calm and quieted trust. Oh Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. It's kind of this psalm of a full circle. You check on your surroundings in your life. Lord, what are you calling me to be? First off, what kind of a man or a woman have you called me to be that helps you know what you're to do? But then we realize that we're in a a family of God and we are called children and our position is as a child to the Father. And then we remind ourselves of who our Father is and we wait and trust and hope In Him. And as we're hoping and waiting, we go back around and we say, Okay, Lord, what have you put in my sphere? And how do I need to become like Christ? And what do I need to do? And it starts all over again. This routine maintenance, this check of where we're at with God. And the call in verse 3 is hope in Him, wait in Him. Like a child, trust in the Lord. From right now, today, and forevermore. <laughs> you no, know, even even with my young kids, they're already beginning to tell me, "I know what's best." <laughs> and we say, "Oh yeah, that's that four-year-old to you know the end of teenager life or whatever," but. Let's not excuse the adults. (laughs) Where's our hearts this morning? Where am I at this morning? Is my attitude, Lord, let me tell you how things need to go. Let me tell you what is best. Or do I humble myself? Do I remember my place? Do I say, I'm the child Help me to sit and submit to you, God, and say, Lord, what would you have for me? Lord, about this situation, I'm going to bring it to you. Help me through this situation. I'm going to trust in you. Lord, I'm exhausted working through this. I need to bring this to you. I need to take the burden off and cast it upon you and trust you for this situation. What might it be where we need to come to him again like a child? Like a weaned child in trust. Bring it to him. And remember our place. Not think too highly. Not try to get into his shoes. And try to be God. He is God and we are not. And if I let that sink in on a daily basis, my heart should respond and say, Amen, thank you. That's the right place that I need to be at. You know all the answers and I do not. And may we be able to do that for each other. When there's a question, when there's a trial, well, I'm sorry you're going through that, but I'm glad I'm not. No, What if I'm in their shoes? Let me come alongside of you and comfort and help and pray with you or what can I do to be there? Let's have a heart of humility of reminding ourselves we, but for the grace of God, we could be there too. And let's enter into the struggles and the mess and point ourselves and whoever we're with to the Lord, who is the answer for everything. O oh, Israel, O oh, Pleasant Hill Baptist Church, hope in the Lord. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this quick psalm. But oh, as the great preacher in London, Charles Spurgeon, said, one of the shortest passages, but one of the hardest And longest to learn in life, to be humbled and remember our place before God, and to come to Him in childlike trust. Those are sometimes the hardest lessons that we need to be reminded of week in and week out. Oh, church, trust in God, hope in God. He is working all things out for good. May we believe that even when we don't have the answers right now. May we hope in our God. In Jesus' name, amen.